0: And welcome to episode one hundred and fourteen of Random Encounter, the RPG Fan Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Steinman, Pale Robbie on the boards. Joining me today is Derek the Wanderer Heemsbergen.
1: Cool. Again, you give me a title that's, like, so barely relevant to me because I barely even touched Sheer and the Wanderer, but thank you! You know what the really good thing about Sheer and the Wanderer is? is um, there's a talking ferret in it, and that aligns very closely with my interests.
0: I was actually at the pet store the other day. We were, we were picking up some cat food, and I always go over and I say hi to the kitties, and then I tell myself, like, no, I'm not bringing any more home. Mm-hmm. And I went over to chill with the ferrets for a little bit, and I, I just have so many questions about ferrets because, like, they seem to poop a lot, and it's like a messy yeah. poo. Do they know how to use a litter box? Do they, do yes, let they them know run, to use litter box. Do they know how... So they can run free around your house, and then they can go and use the litter box.
1: Generally what you do is you have a big cage. Like, I had a four-level cage okay. that they could scamper around, and then if I was home, I had a ramp that went up to the the door of the cage, and then they could sort of roam freely as long as I was around. But you have to do a lot of ferret-proofing if you have ferrets, which means... Doing things like putting a fitted sheet on the other side of, of the underside of your box spring so they don't chew in through it, yeah. or like making sure that they can't get into cabinets and kill themselves because they're so inquisitive. But uh, yes, they poop a lot. We had an episode of the podcast called "Pooping Ferrets." Yes, like we, we did. Recall. Yes, <laughs> we did. Yeah,
0: yeah <laughs> little I was box.
1: just
2: gonna say uh, this week on Ferret Encounter, the RPG fan. I just have questions. I just, I just I'm, this conversation, didn't we?
0: I am like a ferret apparently, and I just I have <laughs> questions. Yeah, mm, you're so curious about the world. I do. I mean, my cats. I don't have to cat-proof the house, but I do. Like, there are certain areas that are off-limits to cats. Like, yeah. we, we don't let like, them into the dining room because there's, like, good furniture in there. And, like, they're not destructive, uh, but they're going to, like, jump and claw stuff by accident. I was going to say, like, the
1: bathroom cabinet where the bleach is probably not a good place for them.
0: No, the the only,
3: to- the only time. How do ferrets taste?
1: Hmm?
3: How do ferrets taste?
1: What? Um, I don't.
0: Appreciate you good. asking that question. Right.
1: That's terrible. No, not they don't smell especially great, but I think it's one of those things it's like if you like ferrets and are a ferret person, you become kind of numb to it. And uh all domesticated ferrets sold in the United States are descented. They have their scent glands removed before they're sold in pet oh, stores. Whoa. You get, they still smell. They still smell for sure, but but uh if you get like a ferret from a breeder or something, it's gonna stink unless you have it descented.
0: Well, I learned something today. So yeah. Uh, we also have Caitlin, for the love of God, stop talking about Final Fantasy XIV or Jiros. Yeah, oh no, God.
2: never. I refuse.
1: Please keep talking about it.
2: I will. It's the only thing I can talk about this time. Sorry, guys. Yeah. And you have a new laptop. I do, yes, and it runs so much better than my old one. I'm
0: very happy with it. That's such a good feeling when you get a new computer and you're just like, Power overwhelming! (laughs) Well, especially with me, because I run my
2: laptops to the ground before I get new ones, which means I I take them at least a good two or three years longer than you should. So they're running like crap, (laughs) <laughs> nice save, girl. Uh hey, you. by the time I get a new one and so when I get a new one it runs super fast and I'm like how did I ever manage to last mm-hmm. as long as I did with my old laptop? I don't know.
0: My desktop is coming up on uh 6 years now, almost 7. Coming up on almost 7 years with my desktop and it is still it's still being a trooper. Like it's got that 10. I could barely fit my 1070 in there though. Like I, I, got real nervous. I was like, "Oh God, I think the 1070 might be too big for the case." Like it, it got a little tight in there, but it's I was it's. Say, still-
1: you've had it for a while, but you still upgrade it pretty regularly. Yeah,
0: I, I upgraded the RAM because it started out with like six gigabytes. I upgraded that to twelve. Um, I haven't touched anything else. Even with just a first generation, uh, first or second generation i7, the thing is still just a champion. And uh, actually, Doom just did the uh the Vulcan API which allows like uh most of the game to run on the graphics card. It's actually supposed to help out if you have like slightly outdated hardware. Yeah, Doom's running at 160 frames per second on my computer. We're fine. Like that there's just there there's no excuse. Like it's totally fine, but then you run into those weird games that are like the new Hitman can't get above 50 in some areas and you're like, "What? Like, really?" That's just bad optimization. But congrats on the new computer, Caitlin. That is awesome. I love new computer smell. It is great.
2: Mm. Isn't it? Yeah.
0: It's very. It's. It is awesome. Uh, we also have Jesse uh, Miles Edgeworth woo
2: <laughs> Best nickname <No>. ever.
0: Yeah. Another. <laughs> I actually work defense side. So. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Damn it!
1: Oh, so, so you messed up is what he's I saying. Yeah, that's...
0: I'm, I know, I know, but it's... it's ah, Jesse, how you doing? It's okay. I have friends who are prosecutors. They're okay people, I guess. <laughs> um, wow. I like the idea. Okay. Yeah. You're the asshole on Law and Order that's always trying to get the rapist <laughs> off. That's what we have to deal yeah. with here.
1: Wow, oh, yeah. oh, yikes. Sorry, Bradford. Uh,
2: uh,
4: yeah, hi. Jesse Wu. I'm the super dog on the boards, though I never post. But... uh If I do, you can find me there.
0: And then we also have uh, Stephanie, uh, Awesome Healthcare, Sabidlo.
3: Thank you. I feel healthy today. (laughs) Stephanie, (laughs) we're all
2: going to come and crash with you if Trump wins (laughs) the
0: election. We don't want to turn it into a political show, but we have all claimed space in her house just in case. I'm going to have
2: my chores done for (laughs) for (laughs) a long We're going to have to fight over who who does them.
0: I'll take the ferret cage. All right, I'll, I'll take that. How about, how about
1: that? <laughs> and I'll know exactly how to take care of you. It'll work out perfect. Yeah, just, I, I just live in a little ferret cage. Okay, this got way too
0: sexual, way too fast. So let's let's move away from the ferret cages. Uh,
3: you can totally be sensitized to
0: when you talk dirty. Oh What's God! The, you're the one who made it filthy. I know. Well, when you said keep me up in a cage, it just had flashbacks to Vulp victim. Uh, Got it. Uh, Yeah, I'm thinking about the GIMP, and it it just, uh, Final Fantasy XIV, everybody. Uh, what's, what's going on in Final Fantasy XIV? Everybody seems to be talking about it again. I, I, I think it's so awesome that Square Enix continues to just have this game that is an absolute juggernaut. I think, didn't they just pass six million subscribers or something? Like,
1: something like that. Yeah. Like five or six million. I can't remember. Yeah. Pretty big milestone, though.
0: Uh huh. Uh huh. What's What's the big thing right now? Why did everybody Why is it the well,
1: zeitgeist again?
0: It's It's not well, like
1: it's uh ridiculously huge, but they have like you know they have their pretty big content patches every few months. It's like every three to four months right now. Um, but they had kind of an in between that added in a pretty big feature that they were uh that was supposed to originally be in the previous big patch, but now it's finally here. It's called the Palace of the Dead. And Caitlin, would you like to tell us about it?
2: I would. Um, so, yes, Palace of the Dead, or as a lot of us call it for short, uh, Deep Dungeon, because it's, re- it's reminiscent of the Deep Dungeon of Final Fantasy Tactics where you have to explore these floors and you go deeper and deeper and deeper uh, every time you find an exit. Um, every floor is random. Um, you'll have a certain, it could be any sort of, combination of different rooms, uh there are random treasure drops that give you either items you can use in battle or things that might help you deal with enemies on the floor or status effects and whatnot. Um, and you have to run around and kill a bunch of enemies, as one does in Final Fantasy. Um <laughs> especially Final Fantasy XIV, until you can move on to the next floor. And every ten floors, you have to fight a boss. That part's not random. It's only the floors in between. Um, And once you hit level 50, or floor 50, you fight the final boss. And then, in true MMO fashion, you start it all over again. uh, Because while you're exploring and fighting monsters and doing all that stuff... Uh, you'll come across chests that will randomly increase the stats of your weapon and your armor. Um Puzzle of the Dead is kind of a little bit interesting in that once you go in, you have uh, an ether pool arm and an ether pool armor. It's not anything that's based on what you were wearing when you went in. Uh, you don't have to worry about like finding new pieces of gear. It's just there. But you, in order to improve it, make it more powerful, you have to open silver chests that will randomly increase uh, either your arm or your armor. Or they may not increase anything. So you have to go through the floors hoping you find silver chests to up your arm and your armor. And the reason why you want to do this is that once you get both up to 30, you can uh, purchase or trade for uh one of the weapons that you can that you normally can only use in Palace of the Dead, but this way you can actually get the weapon to use out in the main game. And there's a there's another incentive. It's a it's a it's a it's not the highest item level item you can get weapon wise in the game, but it's a good alternative if you don't want to be working on relics or farming um the extreme primals or the latest uh trials, so there's incentive there to do it, but it's also just a lot of fun um, to get with a, a couple other people. It's most fun as as a lot of uh, Final Fantasy 14 content if you can do it with people that you can talk with, that you can chat and hang out with, because it's fun to s- explore the floors, deal with the enemies, figure out what kind of traps are there, uh, find items that you can use to maybe deal with that trap or deal with that set of enemies and just work your way through the floors. The other interesting thing about it is that when you enter, the uh, when you start entering Palace of the Dead, uh, you start at level one, no matter where you are level-wise outside. And you level up within Palace of the Dead. So you'll start at level one, and you'll gain experience very quickly and start amassing levels, but you it's an interesting way to have you explore these floors, starting when, with almost no skills, and you slowly build back uh, your arsenal of abilities by the time you hit, uh, floor 50. Um, and the other thing that's nice to mention about this is, I think we've, we've mentioned before in our reviews about how, uh, Square Enix are trying to find new ways, uh, to allow players of different levels and different commitments, uh, to the game to interact and play together. Uh, you can start Palace of the Dead actually from a very low level. I think it's level 17. Um, so if you're a person who hasn't reached the current level cap, you don't have to worry. You can do Palace of the Dead, and you might be able to do it with people who are at level 60, and you guys can have fun together and explore and maybe get some cool equipment out of it. And I think that's uh, it's, it's nice to see them continuing... Uh, to, uh, to continuing to follow that commitment of allowing all do- sorts of different players, no matter how much uh, how much they're into the game, uh, to meet up and do things together, and not necessarily gating content by saying, oh, well, you have to be you have to be at level cap in order to do this.
1: Right, and as uh, Heaven's Word progresses towards its conclusion at 3.5, there's basically like you have to have done everything up to that point to be able to access the next thing, and Deep Dungeon is a good example uh, of content that you can just kind of get into. Um, I know you have to clear up to a certain point in the main story. I think it's just like the original game main story, though. I don't think it's, like, super far in. Um, A couple other cool things about Deep Dungeon are that uh, it basically has its own pool of items that you use within the dungeon that's totally unique to that. Um, Interesting things like being able to turn yourself into a couple of different monsters to play with some various abilities. Um certain items, like you can toss down a, like a bomb that'll turn all the surrounding enemies into chickens and frogs. Like There's the element of randomness, but not enough that it's difficult to strategize what you want to do in there. Um, and another thing is, like Caitlin was mentioning, the ether Pool weapons and armor that you have in, in there, uh, it's, it's just like the two equipment slots. One is weapon, one is armor. Um, those are cumulative, so no matter who you go in with, if you go in with your established party with your friends or if you just want to jump into a random uh, match party, That's going to keep improving, so you don't have to worry about thinking, like, oh, my friend who's never tried this before wants to do it, but if I go in with him, I'm going to, like, have to start from scratch. No, you actually keep your stuff. Uh, As Caitlin mentioned, basically your end goal here is to maximize the the weapon and armor. You know, it goes, like, every time you get a buff to it, it's, like, plus one, plus two. You want to get it to plus 30. Once you do that, you do have to trade it in, meaning that you reset your progress, um, when you attain the weapon for use outside of the dungeon. But it's I mean it's not like a huge commitment. People had it on day one. Yeah. Uh, I I mean the people had to definitely do it for like twelve hours straight, I'm sure. But uh I've done it pretty casually. Like I probably I, I've beaten the all fifty floors twice. Um I would estimate each time took about like two and a half hours. So it's really not so bad. Uh and I'm at like plus I have like twenty one on one thing and twenty four on the other. So I just one more run through it I'll be done. Uh, but it's pretty cool. And uh it's funny that we that we mentioned this because it's very much like the MMO answer to uh, a roguelike. And mm. I'm gonna be talking yeah. in a little while about Sheer and the Wanderer, which just came out for Vita, another roguelike. So I think the appeal for me the appeal of roguelikes is um I need to have some kind of a permanent progression system yeah. in place, otherwise yeah. it drives me nuts. Mm-hmm. Like I, I I can't do roguelikes where every single time you're at level one you have nothing, you know, like I get that that's where you want to start, but if I can't have something like uh, upgrading my merchants back out of town or maybe like a higher inventory cap or something like that, then there's no appeal for me. So
0: It's like you like the rogue legacy approach of like you're yes, getting, there's yes. some kind of progression. I think, uh, not to cut you off, but I think like I got really deep into Binding of Isaac uh, Rebirth when it first came out, and I played a lot of that. But then... Afterbirth came out, and I actually think Afterbirth kind of screwed up the delicate balance in that game and made it a little too hard. So, like, I, even though you don't really have a whole lot after you finish a run in that game, you do unlock new items for the dungeon. It, it started to really get to me of like, this game is now hitting me so hard, I don't want to play it anymore. Like, mm-hmm. and I just, I completely fell off, and it's, it's a real shame because I really enjoyed Rebirth, and I feel like Afterbirth just went too far. I've never
1: played Afterbirth, so... I, I was the same way, though. I got super sucked into the first one. I, Roguelikes and I have a weird relationship. because same, yeah. Sometimes it's like I'm really into them, and other times I just I hate everything about them, and I don't want to play them because I feel like I'm wasting my time. I mean, really. <laughs> but then there... I mean, my I kind of cut my teeth on Roguelikes with Chocobo's Dungeon 2 on PlayStation, and uh, that's yeah. not a particularly forgiving one either. It's pretty hard. And then I played Torneco, uh, the Dragon Quest spinoff, that one's also kind of difficult. But, uh the,
0: those are all under the Mystery Dungeon. Like, I, I don't want to go too far down this because we're going to talk about Sheer in the Wander. but, like, that's all under the umbrella of the Mystery Dungeon series, correct?
1: Yeah, those are. Um, and I'm, there's also a Chocobo's, uh, like, Final Fantasy Fable Chocobo's something on Wii. I forget what it was. Uh, it wasn't Chocobo Fable. Final Fantasy Fables for DS was, like, a... Uh, Mini game compilation, but yeah. There's that, and uh, the the roguelike like these types of roguelikes. I get. I don't really know how to categorize them other than by saying that they're kind of the Japanese take on roguelikes. Um, they have had varying levels of permanent upgrade systems in place, like we see things. Um, you know, the the traditional stuff. Like I, oh yeah, Azure Dreams. I just remembered uh, that was one of my first roguelikes. Now that I think about it. Oh, um, I love that game. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a good game, and it does have some permanent progression stuff in place, which I like. But on the other end of the spectrum, actually, Etrian Mystery Dungeon came out um, last year, or was okay. it earlier? I think it must have been last year. And uh, for me, it was overwhelming. Like, there was actually too much going on in that game, and I felt like I, like I, I was afraid to make decisions because I didn't want to be locked into stuff, and I know that there were fail safes in place so that i wouldn't be but i actually felt like having four characters that you had to each individually outfit and put skill points into and stuff was just way too much uh i'm not saying that's a bad game but for me like that didn't suit my tastes so i want somewhere kind of in the middle and to get back to the the point here um final fantasy 14's palace of the dead has that kind of idea where it's there is a permanent progression but you aren't um you're it's kind of minimal, and you're not going in with a full suite of stuff, and everybody's starting on the same playing field. Um, and yeah. we didn't mention that the the system is actually in place, and it's going to be uh, like they're gonna there's
2: gonna be yeah, more of it.
1: Yeah, what's the word I'm looking for? Like it's gonna be incremental. Like they're gonna they're gonna add more floors to this. And are they going to add a new dungeon entirely? Like is deep dungeon just the name of the system, and they're gonna add more you know, instances of this? Do you know, Caitlin?
2: I don't know. All I know is that they're going to be expanding it, uh, whether okay. or not that means floors 51 to 100 or or like, um, like a whole oh, new set of...
1: Uh, the word I was thinking of was iterate, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: Doing... We're going to iterate on this. Yeah. Well, I hope they do because, I mean, every new sort of... Uh, new sys new system that they add has been really fun like i mean i know that um i think we're all waiting for the next version of diadem because yeah. like, no one's really doing diadem anymore but that oh, was a really cool <laughs> yeah that was a really cool thing that they added that you know it 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 plays off the basics of the game you have combat, you have crafting and gathering and all that stuff, but it it allowed people to interact and play together in a different way from just spamming dungeons or raid content. And I think the dungeon or Palace of the Dead is another, it's similar, it's another new way to play with people, um that, you know, using the basics, but mixing things up a little bit. So uh, I do hope that, you know, whether it's just more floors or if they take the concept and tweak it a little bit, that'd be fun. I would love to see a version of this that's an eight-man deep dungeon. I was actually surprised that they limited it to four people.
1: It does feel a little intimate, but, yeah, uh, yeah, I could see an eight-man working pretty well, actually. I would worry a bit about the... uh, the strength of monsters being such that if you did go off on your own, you would get totally screwed. Because as it is right now, this is um, one of the only content types in Final Fantasy XIV that doesn't restrict you to a certain party composition. Um, It just throws you in with whoever else is seeking, basically. So I think the minimum is like, no, actually, you don't have to have You can do it by yourself. Yeah, you can do it by yourself also uh, because I got matched one time and it was just uh, uh, four damage dealers. So I was like, oh, okay, well I guess I'm healing because I'm a summoner and I have like little heels but, uh, it's yeah it's designed as such that you can get through it uh, no matter what your party composition is so it's not necessarily hard um, that you do have to sort of play with some randomness in terms of what item drops you get but it's a it's a pretty cool system I it's got me playing again and I like I've never quit 14 or anything like that but there are times where I don't play for a few weeks at a time or maybe even a month just because um, I've kind of exhausted the current available content and I don't want to grind for the the crazy anima weapon stuff, which I still haven't finished and I swear to God. Like I, I want to. Now I'm just spiteful about it. But I hate it and it's a waste of my time.
2: I don't do it either. I, I there's for me there's no point when I can easily get the tome weapons a lot faster yeah. than I can get the Relic and weapons. And it's
1: like it's so it's comparable too. Like if you're not running the hardest of the hard endgame stuff, which I'm never going to at the time that it releases then you don't really need it, so I just kind of ask myself why I'm wasting my time. I don't know, because I have no life, and it's the power of addiction.
2: But that's the other nice thing about this, is that it's, it's not just another raid that they added. This is something that can help you possibly with your raid, but um, it can also just be a thing you do for fun. Yeah.
1: So. It is cool. It is yeah. good content.
2: And Hashtag they content. Content. We love it. Good
1: content. And they
2: Good gave talent. it a little bit of an old school t- uh, twist to, um, you have save slots, you have and Ooh. I think, I don't know why they didn't do three, you only have two save slots, so you have to pick a save slot when you go in um, and that's re- regardless of whether you go in uh, with a match made group, with a, um, you know, finding other random people, or if you go in with a fixed party. So you have to, there's a little bit of balancing there uh, with your save slots. You You never lose the progress on your weapons, but if you have to delete a save slot you'll lose the progress you've made in that slot like if you got to if I got to floor 20 on one slot and I had to delete it I won't be able to restart at floor 20 unless I have another save that happens to be there so there's a little bit of managing there and the the graphics are very old school Final Fantasy with the blue uh, backgrounds and they're these adorable little sprite uh, figures to uh, to represent the different uh, classes. I just posted
1: um, it in our. That uh, looks our awesome. Podcast. Yeah. Yeah, they show up in the game and everything.
2: Yeah, it's super cute. So, and it's a nice little a little touch to call back to uh, old school Final Fantasy. Yeah.
0: Hmm.
1: So all in all, uh, it's a pretty fun piece of content. I think that um, that my only worry for it at the moment is that once the next patch hits, the gear that, the weapons that you get from this will be outclassed. So yeah. I want to know what's going to keep people interested in it because I can see everybody jumping ship as soon as new stuff is out because people will see it as, you know, quote-unquote pointless um, other than for the experience of doing it and having fun. Uh, I think they need to make sure they continue to iterate on it.
0: Yeah, I think it's cool that, like, you guys have definitely found something in Final Fantasy 14 that they keep delivering content updates for and you guys are really into that and you want to keep playing it. That's awesome to me. The last game that really did that for me was Diablo three. But even then, like, my personality type is eventually those content updates, I lose interest, and I want to go play other games. I was reading a little I, – I was completely bored the other day, and when I'm bored and I need to read, like, super long kind of crazy reviews, I go to actionbutton.net because they have, like, that one uh, Tim Rogers Final Fantasy XIII review that is, like – essay of just stream of consciousness that's a lot of fun to read and i was reading a review that they had for dead space 3 and i I know it seems weird but go with me here and they were like at some point in dead space 3's development somebody said why don't we turn this into a game that you will play for months and months in order to continue upgrading your weapons and we're going to drop new content and new pieces and you're just going to keep playing it and it's like this is a survival horror game like that this does not need to be a forever game this doesn't need to be a game that you continue to update for months and months with new content this is an experience game that you play once or twice and then you're done with it and I mm-hmm. think that I think that some developers are trying a little too hard and may, maybe we're getting away from that right now but like I don't want like Diablo 3 was great I have couple hundred hours in it because I'm an idiot and I love that game, but at some point it reached a level of, yeah, you guys are going to keep delivering content updates for that game, and that's great, but I've moved on, and I probably will only play Diablo 3 in short bursts anymore. And I think it's great what they're doing with 14. I'm not saying that they shouldn't, but I think you really have to gauge yourself on what kind of personality you have when it comes to video games. Like, do you like playing the same game as they continue to add stuff to it? And some people really do. And I think World of Warcraft, Final Fantasy XIV, those games have shown us that people really want to do that. Or are you kind of more like me with, like, books and stuff where I like to go on to the next thing? I like to play this for a
1: little bit and I can move on. MMOs are kind of a weird thing. Like yep, they yep. they they occupy a weird space and there are a lot of people out there who just play MMOs and nothing yeah. else.
0: Yeah. Like, and that's cool. That's cool. I'm not I'm not disparaging on those people, but I think you're right. But I yeah. think
2: I think 14 is one of those MMOs that can bridge that the 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 gap between people who exclusively play MMOs and people who maybe shy away from it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. We've said this before, like in our write-ups on the site, and you guys are probably tired of death of, of hearing us say it. But it really is one of those games where, if you don't think necessarily you're into MMOs, you may still find yourself really enjoying 14, even if it's only just to play through the main story content and then to, you know, set it aside for a while until the next expansion. Right. I didn't think. That I would be into MMOs. I've tried. I've dabbled a little bit before Final Fantasy 14, and it never it never clicked. I was never sucked in enough that I was like, oh, okay, I'm gonna you know devote a few days a week to this, and I'm gonna pay money for this. And then I started playing 14, and I was like, this is it. This is what I need to make me want to play an MMO and to keep playing it. And I have been playing it for good grief, almost uh, mm. almost three years now. So.
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah. There's it's got some some serious draw, and uh, I also wanted to mention because it just occurred to me that uh, we didn't talk about it yet. There's a Yokai Watch collaboration yes. happening with Final Fantasy XIV. Uh, right now in fourteen, it's going on for like two and a half months. So yeah, if it's you're long. not if you're not currently playing, you could hop in if you're really into Yokai Watch. And right now there's also a free login period um, if you have been inactive for a while. But uh, yeah, there's a collaboration where you can go in and you can collect like. Thirteen different yokai watch uh, characters as minions, which are just the little cosmetic only pets that follow you around in the game. Um, and then you can also get a weapon that's modeled after a yokai for each character class. They're all totally unique. Um, super cute event. Um, there's they've got some little yokai watch uh, bits of music and sound effects peppered in. Um, it's it's really well done. Uh, robust is the word that comes to mind, and it's uh, it's got a lot of content. Like it'll actually keep you going for. Quite some time if you want to. God, I hate that I keep saying content. It'll it'll keep you happy for quite a while if you're into yokai watch. And for me, it's interesting because yokai watch is a game that I loved from an aesthetic standpoint. And from like, I love the idea of it because I'm I'm a big Pokemon fan. So I like the idea of a really distinctly Japanese sort of take on it. Even though Pokemon is Japanese, it's like like super heavy Japanese. You know, based on Japanese actual yokai um and i love the idea of like wandering around uh urban japan and finding these creatures causing all kinds of mischief but that game just like the the quest design of that game i think i already said this on the podcast at one point so i'm repeating myself but the quest design of that game i thought was just abysmal and i i couldn't really get into it as a result so it's nice to have kind of the the part that i liked about Yokei watch which is the art and the characters and stuff in a game that i really enjoy playing so uh I'm actually a sucker for modern games,
3: like for like uh, games that take place in modern settings.
1: <laughs> what about it?
3: I don't know. I'm just a sucker for it. Like I love uh, that Level Five has actually done stuff that takes place, you know, with you know cars rolling around.
1: Yeah, I like. I think uh, Persona was a was a great introduction to that sort of idea. And I know that it wasn't the first RPG or game ever set in modern Japan, but um, we're seeing more success with that kind of stuff, like Tokyo Xanadu, Falcom's. Uh, of dungeon crawler that's coming out here next year, courtesy of Axis, Yay! not Exceed for whatever reason. Yeah, it looks uh, well, it is fantastic. I've played the Japanese version, um, that's set in modern Japan, and Yokai Watch is another example of something that's set in modern Japan. So, uh, I think there's, there's a great deal of creativity that they're uh, implementing into these kinds of settings and making them a little bit fantastical or fantastical enough that they capture our interest. I'm just kind of talking at this point.
0: Well, let's you know. I I think Final Fantasy 14 sounds amazing. We all know it's amazing. I'm not attacking it in any way. I'm just not an MMO person. But I think it's it's awesome to hear that that game is so great, and it looked better at uh, E3 than Final Fantasy 15. So
1: uh, <laughs> is it okay for me to say that? Well, one of those we know is fantastic. The other one we're is question. About yeah, the oh other one I we are hopeful. That. I still think 15 is going to be good. But yeah, it was a bad demo. We've we beat not to death though.
0: I think fifteen is going to be a seven. Okay. I think it's going to be Final Fantasy seven. No, because Final Fantasy seven is awesome, and I don't, I don't appreciate the hate that game gets. That game is, that game is bat crap bonkers, and that's what makes it so great.
1: The only hate it gets is like the oh it's in vogue to hate things that are cool hate. Yeah.
0: Or, or the oh it ruins the anti nostalgia. The yeah, it, it ruined the Japanese role playing game. It's like no, it didn't. Like yeah, okay, on. sure. That that game that game has problems. Don't get me wrong. I mean, its battle system is kind of stupid easy, and you know some of the characters are just kind of there. But that game has some heart, and it is crazy, and I love it for that. And you cannot tell me that first disc is not incredible.
3: I love yeah.
0: the first yeah, They're super good. good. Yep. Sorry, I got to put the uh got to put the Final Fantasy VII defense pants on, and yep. and no, I did not play Final Fantasy VII first. I grew up on Fantasy Star and played Final Fantasy III slash Six first. So before anybody starts going with the argument of like you only like Seven because you played it first, no, that's not true. I mean, nobody's checking your gamer card, buddy. Uh, hey, I'm just saying, I mean, it's it's right there next to the Discover. All right, and I'll just whip that out real
1: quick and just You throw mean, it why not the American Express sponsored by Final Fantasy 15? Oh my god. Did you hear about that? Did you hear about that? Wait, I really? did, I thought it was a nightmare. <laughs> If there is an actual American Express collaboration with Final Fantasy 15, does it have, and, z- does it have zippers on the card? <laughs> yeah, it has three, uh, where you can take out extra little cards that you put inside. No, please, the,
0: please tell me
1: you're kidding, because that sounds oh, serious. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Oh, the God. the uh, extent of it is, uh, if you sign up, like in Japan, of course, if you sign up for an American Express card of a certain class, I forget, like business class or something, and spend a certain amount of money by a certain, or I guess, okay, so if you sign up for it. You get Final Fantasy 15, a copy of it, and then if you spend another certain amount of money, it's like fifteen hundred dollars or something like that. Uh, you get a Final Fantasy 15 branded gift card for a hundred bucks, equivalent, you know, ten thousand yen. Uh, and the, in exchange, in the game, American Express logos appear at shops. Like, what? American Express is up to here. Yeah. Wow. So,
4: you know, my girlfriend was just asking me about this earlier. It's like, why isn't there more in-game advertising? And I told her that I don't think that gamers would really go for that. Like, I don't think that we would tolerate that.
0: But don't, don't you guys remember the game Run Like Hell with Lance Henriksen? And they had a deal with Balls Drink, uh-huh, so, you had, yeah. so you had to grab your balls B A W L S while you were running wasn't, like
1: hell. Wasn't there something in Dead Space also, or? Uh, no,
0: Dead Space had a bunch of faux, um, uh, advertisements, like one for, uh, for like a Red Dwarf drink, which was kind of funny, because that was a reference to the BBC, uh, show, but, uh, yeah, I mean, in-game advertising doesn't bother me, but if you're gonna start having me, like, I don't know, there's something weird about American Express in a world with Gil and... Oh, I'm not
1: fond of that, that, yeah. That that seems a little... And I, I, uh... Correct me, listeners, please, correct me if I'm wrong and I misunderstood. That's just from the article that I read. I just read about what you get for signing up, and I saw the picture of it in the game. So it could be that it shows up in one shop in the entire game, and it's totally ignorable. But even so, it's just kind of a weird precedent, is that?
2: Maybe it can be American Express DLC. It, it, no one will be a, will be sorry they missed hey, it. Hey,
1: you can get your, uh, your, what was it? It wasn't a BMW. Was it BMW in Mario Kart 8? Or... Oh, Mercedes. Mercedes! Mercedes, yeah, Mercedes, to ride around as Mario in your little toot Merced Mercedes thing.
0: Mm. Very quickly, Derek, uh, tell me, would I like Sheeran the Wanderer?
1: I don't know. I don't know I think either. <laughs> I've only played it for. I, I played it in bed last night for like fifteen, twenty minutes, and I got too tired to continue. Uh, it's got. It's it's super charming. Um, it's got like a really bright, vibrant. Pixelated art style that totally appeals to me. Um, it looks because it's based on it's a remake of a I think it's the it's DS game. DS right? DS game, yeah, yeah. Um, and the series has its roots on the Super Famicom, as far as I'm aware. Uh, so they've they've pretty consistently kept this style. But yeah, it's like super bright and colorful. Um, it's very also distinctly Asian themed, like it takes place in a, a quaint little. Um, like an Asian village at the base of this tower called the Tower of Fortune, and the story is that there is a god uh, who has three eyes: one eye can see the past, one the present, and one the future. And that god sees all things um, and rolls these dice called the Dice of Fate to determine people's fortunes in life. So, um, you know, you're Shiran, and you are want to wander, and you're like, yo, that sounds cool. And you're talking ferret is like let's do it let's go check it out so you go check it out um all I've done is go through the tutorial stuff and it it is somewhere from it's so far it seems like it's in that sweet spot for me in the roguelike genre where um there's some preparation that you can do like you can you have a bank where you can deposit money when you die um you can bring in weapons and armor but if you die you lose them but you do start at level one every time you go in um looks looks pretty cute um I like the music and the, the visuals and everything so far, but I haven't played far enough at all to determine like what lasting appeal it's going to have. Um, you might like it, Rob. I I could see you getting mad, though, mm-hmm. just because you are prone to, <laughs> to getting I don't know mad. what you're talking about, Derek. Uh-huh, yeah. Uh, isn't he getting
2: mad? Like, isn't that his default reaction?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, like... Because it is possible in this game to just totally get screwed over. Like, if you get really unlucky or you don't plan well enough and don't have an escape item or something, this is the type of game where you can just, like, lose everything. So I don't think that you'd be down with that. If you plan well, you can, like, deposit your best stuff in town and make sure that it's not, you know, at risk of being defeated. But I I, I do know that there is some kind of permanent upgrade stuff. Like, I think you can upgrade uh, party members. Like, you can get a guest AI party member who comes with you, and I think you can make upgrades to them and there's probably stuff that you can do within the town as well, but I don't know for sure.
0: I think what it has to... Where my kind of breaking point is for anger in video games is it has to feel like it's my fault when I die. Like, I know that's kind of weird, but let me try to articulate a little bit. Like, if I'm playing Sheer in the Wanderer and I, like, watched a little bit of videos today when I was kind of deciding whether or not I want to play it, it's like, if I walk into a room and I go, yeah, there's some bad stuff in there, I probably shouldn't go in there, like... If I go in there and I get my ass kicked, it's like, well, Rob, you kind of, you kind of knew that was going to happen. But like, I'm playing the only game I've played. So real quick hit is I've been starting Pillars of Eternity, which I like it. I do like Pillars of Eternity, and I think it's the first crpg and that kind of revival vein that has gotten my attention because it's so similar to dragon age which was so similar to Baldur's gate and that's what this game has its feet in but like there was definitely a point where i was running around with my party and i ran into a pack of wild boars and the boars just destroyed me like it just annihilated me and i'm sitting there going how was I supposed to know that I couldn't fight the boars? Like, I had no clue. Like, they look like normal enemies, I have no indication of how strong they are, and I walked up to them, and they tore me apart. And it was like, okay, I'll come back after I've leveled up once, went out, leveled up once, got one more party member, and I annihilated them. And that's where it starts to be like, okay, so basically what you were saying was I shouldn't go into this area. And I actually think Witcher 3 does a good job of telling you when, like, hey dude, this thing's really strong, Stay away from it, and Xeno Gear, uh, Xeno Gears, um, uh, Xenoblade did a really good job of that, of like, giving me the warning sign of like, dude, if you go up against this thing, you're gonna get effed up. Like, I am just telling you right now. But I think when a game doesn't tell me that, and Dragon's Dogma was especially bad about that, like, if I have no indication that the thing I'm going to go up against is one step down from a god, I get really irritated with that. Like, that really drives me up the wall. So, I think if Sheer in the Wanderer is, like, fair and kind of explains its world and its mechanics to me, then I think I would be okay with, like, extreme but difficulty. It wouldn't seems bother
1: pretty fair. The, the tutorials are also really comprehensive, because there's a an NPC that you access it from and they just have lessons, like, here's how you do this thing. And, uh, it even goes so far as to explain some of the uh, conventions of, like, Mystery Dungeon roguelikes that make, that are Maybe not super apparent to people, like the fact that moving diagonally is a huge deal because you can move diagonally through, like if you're, if you have two tiles, like say there's a uh, cross formation of water tiles or something. Um, if you can't get around them, you can actually like still walk diagonally through some of yeah. them. Um, and it's the kind of thing where if you don't hold the button to move diagonally, then you may not realize that you can do that. And you'll be like, well, I'm stuck. How do I get through? So there's that, and like it explains some things like um you can use magic stabs to cast stuff by basically going into your inventory and using it. But if a staff runs out, you can also throw it at the enemy and use that effect as like as a last ditch. Okay, I'm gonna get rid of the staff, but it'll cast it if it hits the enemy with my toss. So th- those kinds of things to me wouldn't be apparent. Like I wouldn't know to throw my empty staff to get something out of it. But because the game tells you, I think that it's a lot more fair and after you do the first two pages of tutorial, it's like ten lessons, Uh, they open up three more pages, so I was like, holy crap. Uh, It very much explains everything that there is in the game. Mm -hmm. But it it is a game based around oh crap, my luck is bad, what do I do? Do I cut my losses and run, or do I try to push on, and you can get yourself seriously annihilated if you are foolhardy. Which can be annoying. Like I, I hate losing progress to that degree. Like I'm a I'm crazy about saving my game in several slots, like, I don't like playing games where I can spend, you know, two hours, three hours, and get wiped out and have no tangible progress to show for it. That pisses me off. Mm -hmm. I guess in a game like Sheeran, you know up front to expect that, but, uh, Yeah.
0: It's got to feel good. It's got to be like that original Binding of Isaac Rebirth. Like It has to feel good when you, you make a good run or you start to learn the mechanics better so you feel more confident. Yeah. I think that's that's got to be key. And then just everybody rip off Rogue Legacy. Like, please, that game does it so well.
1: Yeah, uh, Crypto the Necrodancer I recently got, and that has a similar upgrade system where like you have a, a hub of sorts, where mm-hmm. you can keep pumping upgrades into. Yeah, the, problem, the problem is if
0: you don't have rhythm. And then, <laughs> then crypto the necro. You can actually is like,
1: you can yeah. actually turn that off. Like the game is super accessible to you. I know. All that I, kind I, of stuff. I suck so
0: bad at it. I, I love that game, but I am so terrible at it. Like just mm-hmm. I got white boy w- rhythm. Uh, you've seen me dance. I I've got white boy w- rhythm. Like just nothing.
1: I mean, I won't nothing. deny it, but.
0: Yeah, I know, I know.
1: Do you do like the
3: white man overbite too, you know, when you're dancing?
0: Uh I kinda do the like back and forth like shuffle. Like just kinda like, yeah, I'm 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 dancing. Like that's kind of what I do. It's kinda terrible. Uh so yeah, uh Sheer and the Wanderer, I'm probably gonna try to check that out. Um I guess we gotta talk about nineteen seventy nine Revolution Black Friday. Jesse, did I get that right?
1: Yeah, good uh, job. All the right Walmart simulator. Yeah. <laughs>
0: God, that, that uh, uh, I promise this is not a political show now, ladies and gentlemen. I just, tell me about this game.
4: Uh, okay, yeah, this is a fairly recent game by an indie developer. It's about the Iranian revolution that took place in 1978 and 1979, I think. Um, I hope. And so you play, it's kind of like a telltale game. I mean, it looks, it has the look and sort of general flow of a Telltale game, uh, but it's sort of billed as like a, like a game game as a documentary, you know, because there's, there's all these little bits about Iranian culture and about the revolution that you can pick up and dig into, uh, which I really like because, you know, I was a history major in college and I just like to, to dig into that kind of stuff.
1: I didn't realize that it was based on real-life events, so that's fascinating. Yeah,
4: it's based on, you know, interviews with people who, you know, were there, part of the revolution, or, um, and also some, there's like, there's a really nice touch is there's one point where you can see basically family photos and they're real family photos. Oh, wow. Um, And it's that made it, you know, very personal in a way that, you know, playing the, the Walking Dead telltale game is not personal, right? That's pure fantasy. Um, so it's great. I mean, I I appreciate that it's telling a different story, right? We're, we're not, this is not a fantasy game. It's a, these are real-life events, yet they're very compelling, right? You don't need to make something up and go to another universe in order to tell good stories. Um, and I think this is a great example of that. Um the as a game it's got some issues. It's on it's on iOS, or at least I'm playing the version on iOS. And you know, touch controls are never great. Mm. yeah. And in this they're particularly not great at times. Um but really the, the gameplay elements are not like it's more of a documentary than a game. Which okay, like so if, it, you,
1: I mean, if you came into it with a different mindset, it might uh, yeah be a bit more tolerable.
4: Yeah, I mean, there like there really aren't even puzzles the way they have them in some telltale games or other adventure games. I mean, there's a little bit, you know, but it it's mostly just using you know an an iOS app in game form to tell this story.
0: Sounds intriguing.
4: Yeah, it's, it was interesting. I, I appreciate that again, not to make this too political, but I appreciate that we're, you know, getting a story that's not like, you know, the, the Nathan Drake, like white dude going on an adventure, right? No, I like, I love Nathan Drake. I am this close to a platinum trophy on Uncharted 4, but I like a little variety too, you know? Although my girlfriend did, did mention and point out to me that Persians and Iranians are technically Caucasian, so
1: I don't know <laughs> what that means but <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, yeah get what no. you, I get what you mean nonetheless
4: yeah it's a and it's a chance to explore a different culture and to to you know see a world that is often portrayed in one way in the media you know often negatively yeah. and yeah build and bridge some understanding there which is always I think beneficial to people like like you should play it because it's a fun game but you're going to get something more out
1: of it I actually think it was terribly poignant what you said about not needing to go to another world to tell a good story yeah so it's, that's a good enough reason as need to check it out
4: yeah and it's you know it's on your phone so it'll be cheap um like I probably would have if we didn't get a uh, review copy. I probably would have just paid the three dollars to play it on my phone, anyways. Oh, that's cheap. I didn't know it was. Yeah. That. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm working my way through a second playthrough because I want to sort of see how you know they they always say in these games, well, your choices, you know, they matter and they will will affect the the outcome of the story and the fates of the people you run into. I'm not really sure, particularly with a small indie game, like how much that's really gonna happen.
1: Right. Um, maybe like a a single branch or something like that. Yeah.
4: Um, but we'll see. I
1: never really expect much out of that promise though. Anytime I ever hear that, like you decide how the story like, no, yeah. Not until Dawn says hi. Uh that's a pretty Uh, good I mean, it but it's still the same story, ultimately. It's just you can decide sure. who dies. Sure.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: It's just, it's probably the
0: best. I think Until Dawn is the best version of that, like the Telltale Games, Heavy Rain-style adventure game. I think that's the one where I felt like I had the most impact. Is it as much impact as I necessarily want? Maybe not, but I think that that, that game is actually doing the, your choices actually affect what's going on, I think, a little bit better than everybody else. Except you know,
2: for the two characters who you can't kill.
0: Which two characters can't you kill?
2: You can't kill uh,
0: either the, of the two main characters. Until oh, right, because they, they can't manage. die until the last scene. Yeah, that is a little lame. That yeah. that is a little lame. I would agree. That's uh that's definitely better than having the um. Okay, we're gonna go here, so I, I'm not gonna spoil it, but um, it, it's definitely better than the twist in Heavy Rain or the t- massive twist in Zero Time Dilemma that is atrocious. That 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 twist that twist in giant exclamation points right now in zero time dilemma of you expect me to believe that
1: yeah that, that was BS
0: <laughs> that was that was so bad that I felt like I don't even want to play this game. Wait, anymore. had you
1: had you already seen that last time we podcasted?
0: No, I hadn't. I hadn't. Oh really? I hadn't. Uh... And okay. that that dropped my score. I, I didn't mean to turn this into a zero time dilemma uh, bag session, but uh, I that significantly dropped my score. Like that that reveal was so like really, and to watch people kind of defend it as like oh it was hinted at, I'm like no it wasn't. Not enough. There
1: there were barely a couple of hints, but it was totally
0: implausible. Yeah, that that is that's bad like that, and also it it complicates the game in a way that makes the game dumber. Like, it, it is an unnecessary complication. Like, you actually didn't need to do that because it complicates the entire scenario. And it also makes the entire cast into morons. Like, the entire cast is now cast into like, a... Oh, none of you noticed
1: that? Yeah. Yeah,
0: none of you noticed that that was going on. Like, Oh, you, like, oh it's, I would hate that. It's <laughs> really
1: <laughs> bad. Especially, especially considering, like, Akane is in that game and she's supposed to be, like, Nine Machiavellian. Yeah, and,
0: it, it's it's bad. It it's really yeah. I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to get off track there, but that I, I wanted to explain my review score for that game a little bit. I still really enjoyed it. I still think it's it's a fine entry in the series, and it does wrap up a lot of storylines. But there is some dumb stuff in that yeah, game. It yeah, is that,
1: that was bad. It is an adequate conclusion.
0: It is an adequate conclusion with a couple really bad story beats, and I'm I I am not one of those people that says, oh, video game storytelling is always bad. Like, I don't like that explanation either. Like, hi, The Witcher shows up to beat your ass senseless. Uh, Like, you don't need to, it, it was one of those things of like, did no one proofread this? And go, dude, that's dumb. Like, you just needed one person on the staff to put up their hand and go, really, that's the direction we're going here? That's worse than the heavy rain thing. It is somehow worse than the reveal in Heavy Rain. I can't believe I'm saying that. That actually that hurts. That hurts my soul.
1: Yeah, you think a thing is worse than Heavy Rain? Yeah. (laughs) David Uh,
2: Cage is like, thank you, thank you, Dilemma.
1: No, he still (laughs) sucks.
0: Um, Slightly off topic. and I, I don't mean to to turn this into a movie podcast real quick, but I, I know something really weird happened with the, with the reviews of uh, Ghostbusters that I just wanted to lightly touch on. No, 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 no. I just wanted to lightly touch on this because I really enjoyed Ghostbusters. I had a blast with it. I thought it was super fun, very enjoyable. But something weird happened where, like, most of the reviews that I was reading they would spend paragraphs talking about the controversy, like the the Internet rage, the Internet hate over the movie, which it's almost inconsequential that the leads in the movie are female. Like the movie doesn't actually spend too much time really addressing that or saying it's that big a deal, which is probably the most progressive thing about the movie. But I did find it slightly odd that a lot of reviewers spent more time talking around the... The news about the movie being made instead of the actual movie that they saw.
1: Yeah, it, it was this. I wonder, it, was weird. it makes you wonder, like, how it would, how expectations would differ you know if if you went into the movie knowing nothing about it other than like oh it's the new ghostbusters
0: yeah yeah and, and the movie has some structural problems and some weaknesses in the script that you know keep it from classic status but i i definitely enjoyed it it's probably the best movie i've seen this summer so far i i had a great time with it um but like it, for reviewers to spend so much time talking about the controversy surrounding it. But then I was I was flashing back to Derek, you and I reviewed Dragon's Crown, and I was like, we didn't talk about the controversy of Dragon's Crown, we talked about the content in Dragon's Crown that made us uncomfortable. You yeah, know what I mean? Right. Like We yeah. weren't talking about the internet rage over supposed censorship or anything like that. We were talking about, nah, there's a lot of boobies in this game, and it's making me a little like... I don't know why this is in the it's game. Like, why is that area? Yeah. So,
3: like that's like got her legs spread at one point too. Yeah.
0: yeah. Like the like the witch going into the doggy style, per, per, uh, the sorceress going into the doggy style position every time she gets tied what? up or something. Yeah. It, yeah. Dragon's Crown's a little gross in places, but it was just, I don't know. It was just this weird moment of like I don't really understand what the reviewers were trying to get at with that, and I, it also felt like a little bit of. Like donning their flame shields to defend something, and I get it because a lot of the crap online was completely out of control and nasty directed at that movie, and it sucks, and it's one of the reasons I'm taking a little break from the internet when it comes to social media stuff. But I don't know if a review was the right place to have that conversation. I don't. Well, I know. think I don't know. So in
4: those reviewers' defense, and I haven't seen the movie, I haven't really read the reviews. I um, maybe I'll see it, but. I think all kind of art and entertainment happens within context. Yeah. yeah. And so you need yeah. to at least acknowledge that, I think, for something that kind of blew up as big as this did. Okay, so, okay. Know, yeah. Perhaps, yeah, I mean, perhaps it, it's a matter of, like, how much time you devote to that. Um, yeah.
0: But right. I mean,
2: this is, this is also, like, to build off what Jesse's saying, this is a pretty interesting case study as far as... Uh, you know, I'm going to say the F word. Feminism is concerned, and women's uh, representation, representation in media and, and movies, in particular. They just the, to talk about the immense, immediately negative reaction mm-hmm. to this yeah. movie, and to put it in context of you know gender relations and gender gender equality things like that. Um, so you know, maybe, I mean, I, maybe if it, if they go on too long about it, maybe it's a better you know, place to put it in an, in an editorial. Sure, or, sure. You know, an op-ed piece. Uh, but, I mean, yeah, I, I, I agree with Jesse. I think anyone looking at a review of this movie is going to expect some uh, discussion of the controversy because it was so overblown and out there, and, oh, it's going to suck, and, oh, my childhood, and, ah, and all that. Yeah, yeah. So.
0: I I think I think it's delicate, and we had talked before the show started recording about how, you know, a lot of video game reviews, and I think I'm even guilty of this too, just kind of go through a checklist of things to talk about, and you know, I definitely like seeing some context. I think the the Polygon review for uh um uh what what's oh god I'm I am Dying Light the Polygon review for Dying Light talked about how the game was so uber violent that there were times where the reviewer felt uncomfortable because you were basically fighting, you know, zombie victims, like people that had been turned into zombies. And that kind of gave me a little pause. Like that that was kind of like, huh, I really didn't think of that. Like that that was a cool moment in the review. I guess like the Ghostbusters thing, I I I think you're right, Caitlin. Like if you want to touch on it a little bit that's definitely good to give it some context but there there were some reviews that just spent the entire thing like talking about nope nope they didn't ruin the movie it doesn't matter that they have vaginas it's totally fine and i'm like well yeah but there are still some there are some structural problems with this movie it's still funny as hell and kate McKinnon is going to go on to be a movie star right now cuz she was just absolutely hysterical, but they, there's still room for criticism, and it almost felt like the movie was impervious to some criticism because of the negativity, the asinine misogyny and negativity directed at that movie from the very start. It almost felt like it was now immune to criticism from some different areas. It's just just interesting. just Just one of those interesting moments of just like, I think what we got was a good movie and everybody just needs to settle the hell down. Like, Enjoy it. It it. it, it turned out to be, you know, really good. And also in other news, and I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about it, uh, Star Trek Beyond was pretty damn awesome. And I'm... Yeah, that's what I hear. I I actually
1: didn't see the previous one,
0: but... It was really good. It was way better than the absolute crap show that was Into Darkness, so yeah. Yeah, don't see Into Darkness, don't. No. Oh, Caitlin, do we agree on that? Uh, that In the Darkness is a horrible movie? Yes. Yes. Oh, th- Caitlin, I love you. Thank I you. I love you, too. Because, <laughs> like, Stephen and John were, like, jumping down my throat that it was a good movie, and I was just it's like... It's a horrible
4: yeah. Star Trek movie.
0: It, it's exactly. not just a horrible Star Trek movie. It's a horrible movie in that it references a better film. That's <laughs> the absolute problem with that movie. It's like, it when Benedict Cumberbatch looks at the screen, says who his name is, it's like you're just referencing a far superior film, and it has no context. What are you even doing right now? Like, eh. Also, you made Benedict Cumberbatch boring. That, that takes effort. Is
1: that not his default state <laughs> Are you
0: not a- Wait, 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 wait. Wait.
1: Wait. Wait. Derek. We're waiting. Mm, I don't like Beep, Beepity Boop Beep, Cabbage Patch. <laughs> you don't like Benedict? Wow, my, my worldview is shocked right
0: now. Like, really? Yes. I mean, he I that He's like kind a, of polarizing. He he looks like an otter. I'll give you that. <laughs> no, but otters are way cuter than that. He he looks weird in that movie. I I will admit. And into darkness, for whatever reason, like he's not someone who should be shot directly forward. <laughs> <laughs> I You're gonna say he's
1: not someone who. Should be shot. <laughs> no, no, no. I was like, not, I agree. No, no, no. certain, certain people.
0: Certain people, including myself, should never have the camera pointed directly at them front and center. Like you need to do a little oh, bit of a slot. Sh- yeah, that's I, I do not take a picture of me directly on because I my face looks fat, it looks like I have no chin, my neck is weird, like it just doesn't work. Now if you shoot me from the side, I'm kind of a handsome dude. I'm not too bad. Oh like I, I look down I look downright tolerable. Like it's okay, but like
1: you gotta have the right MySpace angle. Yes. yes oh, can, bringing it back. MySpace angles, oh still a
0: thing. I, I, sorry, I didn't mean to turn this into a movie podcast, but it was just—it it was that weird moment of like reading reviews, going like, I don't know if this is the right place for it necessarily, but I'm also like totally understanding of where it's coming from. Jesse, there, there was yeah. some there was some stuff recently. Yeah. Uh,
4: there was some stuff. Yes. So, okay, a little bit of context. Uh, there's this agency out there called the Federal Trade Commission, and they've been cracking down. They're, they're tasked with uh, consumer protection. And they've been cracking down recently on, um, I guess they're called influencers or, like, you know, bloggers or YouTube personalities that they sort of present themselves as consumers, but they're really paid to give these promotions on products uh, PewDiePie is probably one of the most famous ones. PewDiePie! Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ah!
3: You didn't need to hear that. <laughs> no,
0: no, I didn't. I, you know, I went like four years without knowing who he was. The first, oh, video, I had, the, the first video I ever watched of him was his uh, Evil Within preview, because he was like the only one who had any gameplay of it. And I was like, who the hell is this guy? Like, And then it turns out he's like an internet sensation. Sorry, sorry, I'm just moving on.
4: No, that's fine. So, yeah, they're, uh, they can be pretty famous and they mainly make their money off of, you know, first they get a big viewership and then they make their money off of doing paid promotions for products. Um, and so the FTC is cracking down not on the doing paid promotions but on, um,
1: the transparency on, of
4: it? Yeah, the transparency and the disclosure about, about, letting consumers know that this is actually a paid promotion and not just, you know, some guy, some guy named PewDiePie who really likes this game.
3: PewDiePie! For
4: for no... I am seriously going to strangle you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. You don't want to room with me again at E3.
2: (laughs) Every time someone says PewDiePie, a fairy drops dead.
4: (laughs) Okay. Well, this will be the last time, though.
3: Get it out of your system. Actually,
4: no, I'm gonna say it one more time. No, it's so. okay.
1: He, he can say the name. It's just the uh, the inflection that makes me want to die. I, I was <laughs> trying to bring. I was trying to bring the fairy back with you my. You know what it reminds me day. of is, is I. So I worked at GameStop many. This will be quick. I worked at GameStop <laughs> many a time over the years, and they had the obnoxious damn uh, the TV sizzle reel kind of thing that would oh, repeat yeah. like it would repeat like every 35 minutes, so you'd hear the same oh, commercials yeah. over and over. So GameStop had this obnoxious little bunny that was its mascot for a while, and yeah. I don't know if it's oh yeah And it just had that, the, like, the stereotypical, wow. yeah, high-pitched uh, Newgrounds Flash animation voice <laughs> that I just wanted to, I mean, cut my ears off a thousand times a day. That's what PewDiePie reminds me of. Okay, go on. If
2: you actually want to talk to the moms who don't understand video games at all or how, or what their kid actually got them to buy because it'll distract you from that, mm-hmm. That's a, that's a hazardous work environment,
1: I'm just saying.
4: Yeah, it's bad. Okay, go on. Sorry, Jesse. Mm, no, it's okay. War stories. Um, what was I talking
0: about? <laughs> non-disclosure <laughs> agreements. No, disclosure agreements. Disclosure agreements. Yeah. Agreement. Sorry, agreement. sorry, sorry, yeah. sorry. Anyways. Sorry, Trump's America. Non-di- non-disclosure agreements are all I have on the mind. Yeah.
4: I was trying to give some context because the FTC just came down against Warner Brothers Um. Where they were, they were pushing uh, pay promotions on influencers. PewDiePie being one of the, the big ones, and they were trying to kind of hide the disclosures that they had to do. So like they would have it in, they would tell the influencer, "Hey, you got to put the you have to put this disclosure, but you have to put it, you know, in the description box below the video, not in the video itself, kind of below the fold." Um, and they weren't telling people that they had paid these these uh, YouTube infult, YouTube yeah. personalities to promote their games, and so the FTC hit them with a big fine last month or so. Mm-hmm. And that has, I think is what has precipitated a lot of other companies uh, pushing pushing all sites, not just YouTubers, not just Instagram. Personalities to have these disclosures and put them in big, bold letters um, for for really what amounts to minor things like getting um, getting a review copy of a game. They're they're counting that as a quote unquote material connection, um, even though really you know that's kind of how games and game reviewing has always worked. I don't think. For anyone who writes reviews, that really influences you know, their decision on the game, like whether someone gave them a free copy in order to um, in order to do their job as a reviewer. But I, you know, I suppose everyone should know. And now the FTC is going to come after you if you don't let
0: them know. Um, and and we've always kind of had. Um you know for full transparency we won't name any names and we won't go into specifics obviously but when we when we get review code or preview code for a game it usually comes with a list of things like uh having been on reviews for games that hadn't been released before we get like please do not stream this game Please uh, go through these steps in order to make it so that the game is not visible if you're playing on a PlayStation 4 or on Steam. Um, please do not stream past this point in the game, or you can talk about up to this, but try not to include this. Um, don't give away story bits. Some of them, though, are ridiculous. Um, one in particular comes to mind that we just recently had that was like, okay, this is kind of asinine. But I can. Do you think that this is all stemming from the, this disclosure agreement stuff, and now the companies are really trying to trying to CYA, like they're really trying to cover their own asses, or like where is this? It, it seems kind of ridiculous when you have things like that, especially well, for games that are, have been released in other countries. It's like,
4: mm-hmm. yeah, I think that it could be. Sorry, go ahead, Derek.
1: Oh well, sorry, my non. You know, my non-informed opinion is basically just that, like, there's no harm in us saying we received a review copy from the publisher, period. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. fine. But, but, sorry, go ahead with your point.
4: Yeah, I mean, there's this, these are, like, sort of two separate issues, right? There's our agreement to disclose, and then there's also, you know, non-disclosure agreements that we sign in order to talk about the game. Right. And it they could be related, Um. you know, they, like, maybe this is just... An opportunity that they see, like, well, we're gonna have to start pushing these agreements onto reviewers anyways, so let's get all this, all this other stuff and control, um, out there. And you know, lawyers are tricky, they'll, they'll tend to do that stuff. But there's also just sort of a general, like, push in, in all content to, like, you always wanna control your content and the things that you're licensing as much as possible. So that, you know, that could be part of that trend, too.
2: Especially with current consoles being always connected and the ability to stream.
0: Sure, it, yeah. It,
2: it does make sense that they would want to control that. Uh, I mean, we've, they can also, you know, they can shut down a stream after the fact, but, um, you know, they're trying to perhaps uh, cut it off at the head and not let it be a thing as much as possible. Um Yeah, I
4: mean, once it's out there, you can't really, you can't really reel it back in. I mean, what they're probably trying to avoid is the Napster problem, right? Of, of Napster came out and it totally upended the way music was being distributed. um, Really screwed over the music industry for a while before they knew how to deal with it.
2: Yeah, Um, I mean, the the thing is, like you know, streaming is kind of. We stream at their their leisure. It's not necessarily uh, a, a right that we have. They they can exercise their rights if they so choose. They just generally don't because for whatever reason it's either not a threat to their profit margin or they view it as you know good publicity, free advertising, whatnot. But it would make sense why they wouldn't want that to happen before a game is released if you don't want people being able to see a game and and maybe see all of it and then, you know, oh, well, I'm not sure I want to buy this anymore. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that's a thing.
0: And I I think it was a little dirty uh, at the start. I think this was all based around Shadows of Mordor. Um, Shadow of Mordor. Shadow? Shadows. Shadow of Mordor. Um, and, and it was a little weird of having, like, people that were talking, and in some of those videos on YouTube, they were talking about how great the game was, and you start realizing, yeah, you got paid, and now you're saying the game's great. That's a little, you know, I, I can speak for all of RPG fan. We do not get paid for our reviews. Um, we, we get review copies of some games. We don't of others. But we do not, you know, no, nobody is stuffing cash into my pocket um, so that I give good reviews to certain games and I'm not gonna say which games those are on this podcast. But uh th- oh th- that is I I promise myself I wouldn't say Dark Souls on this podcast. <laughs> uh but like that that doesn't actually happen. Um and and I know that there's like a little bit of eye rolling at that from people who read these sites, and there's a lot of "Oh yeah, I'm sure," you know, the old money hat argument from one-up yours. But you got to trust me when I say that. Like that does not happen on our website. Like we do not promote games in a review sense or in a preview sense in order to make money. Uh, was that a sneeze? What the hell was that?
3: No. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that was just this little tiny a sure. Um. Yeah,
4: actually, uh, so someone sent me. Uh, to my home address, a copy of a game, like, with a review code and a beer. Really? Uh, <laughs> yeah. And I it was it to say, you got the beer. beer. It's just one be beer. And, it, you know, it didn't make me want... Uh, first of all, I don't write reviews, um, so they sent it to the <laughs> wrong person, <laughs> and I don't think it was an RPG. But, honest, you know, how how the hell did they find my home address? Like, it creeped me out more than anything. It didn't make me want to... <laughs> To give them a favorable review for the one
0: beer.
3: Is that why you're up north now?
0: Yeah, I, I'm fleeing from this He's, yeah. He's <laughs> on the lamb for that beer. Um, but yeah, I think this is good. Um, and, and you want to make sure, and I think consumers want to make sure that they are—they're um, being told proper, actual, objective. I, I, objective is a stupid word to use. Let me let me rephrase. People want to get opinions on games that have not been tainted by money exchange or anything like that. Impartial. Yes. And that is totally reasonable. And that that is understandable. That's like the one part of the whole ethics and journalism thing that I'm like, yeah, that is actually one hundred percent true. Like I wouldn't want to read a review where somebody had been tainted by money or something like that or given something in order to write a positive review. Like, no, I don't want that either. Like, that totally makes sense to me and I think that that's one of those pieces that like, I don't want that to get lost in the shuffle and I think that this ruling is really good for consumers on that. that.
4: Yeah. Yeah. So we're working on that. Um, I'm filling with the language. Yep. And that should be coming uh, yeah. out with our reviews
0: soon. Yep. And we'll let you know when we get review copies. I mean, some games we do, some games we don't. Um and we will let you guys know as that develops. I want to talk about the NX.
2: Mmm juicy juicy room.
0: We're not we're not going to spend too much time talking about it, but uh Eurogamer published a story. It looks like uh they have uh, they published a story saying they've got some information on the NX. Um, It is going to be a portable system where you can actually take the controllers out of the portable system or use some kind of docking station to hook it up to a TV. Um, I think this all sounds legit, Uh, kind of a a weird middle ground between having a portable system uh, similar probably smaller than a Wii U, I would imagine, to keep it portable, uh, but allowing you to play your games on a big screen and also allowing you to take those games on the go. I think it sounds very legitimate. It also kind of G's up with things that we've been hearing about the NX, and we're going to know within the next two months because the supposed story is that we are going to find out exactly what the NX is come September. I am done betting against Nintendo because I think I'm one for three when it comes to, I think Nintendo is back, crap crazy. I thought the DS was going to be terrible, and it sold like gangbusters. I thought the Wii was going to be terrible, and it sold like gangbusters. But I did think the Wii U was a terrible idea, and I got that one right. Like so, But I don't know... I just don't know with Nintendo anymore. I, I really don't know what to say, what to do. I think... They're going for something crazy, apparently. Again, this is all rumor and conjecture. I don't know if I want to play Breath of the Wild on the go. I don't know how I feel about that. Maybe it will be a very pleasant experience. I don't know. This this seems like a weird... like. It kind of feels like those NVIDIA Shield things. And it, it's even like the the Eurogamer story talked about. It's going to have the Tegra, the Nvidia Tegra sh- uh, chip inside of it.
1: I have zero desire have, to
0: have an, an Nvidia Shield to play my games on the go. Like,
1: well, the question is like, what you know, what will it lose by being portable? If all you're losing is the actual connection to your TV and the controller, then that's great. I mean, then that's perfect. That's the ideal situation because I know a lot of people who, you know, can't really. Commit, they either can't commit to sitting in front of the TV and playing a game, or they just don't want to. Uh, does
0: that so, well? Does that shape the game? However, like I, I see what you're saying, Derek. Yeah, I don't think so.
1: Well, I, I guess in a sense, you, they have to develop with that in mind. But uh, like maybe they they would just have to implement implement stuff like a standby mode or save states or... Yeah.
0: I just I looked to my portable games for a different type of experience, and I've talked about that on the show before. Um I, I think that one of the reasons why Nintendo did such a good job with the DS versus uh the PSP was they made games that were designed for the handheld. Whereas Sony was kind of obsessed, at least initially, with let's make big PS two style experiences on a handheld system. And you know, it's cool that they got God of War working on the PSP. That's really cool, but I'm not gonna play it there. Like, that I, I'm not gonna sit down for four hours to play God of War on the PSP. I, I'm now maybe if you're a commuter, like that, that definitely adds a level to it. If you're commuting to work every day on a train for an hour, like I get that, but I guess I as me as a gamer, I look toward the handhelds for a different kind of experience. That said. If this thing still hooks up to a TV, then maybe I just never play it like that. So it's like, I don't know. I I don't know what to make of this, but I'm done betting against Nintendo. I I say screw it. Caitlin, you were trying to get in there a little bit.
2: Um, well, I was going to say that the other trade-off uh, is going to be the power of the system, which Eurogamer also reported on on what that probably means, and we're we're looking at something that's probably. Uh, maybe at its best going to be as powerful as an Xbox One. It's not going to be more powerful than a PS4 as was originally rumored. Mm -hmm. So Nintendo is once again doing the thing where they kind of just barely catch up with Sony and Microsoft as far as graphics capabilities are concerned, and then very quickly afterwards, because uh, Project Scorpio comes out next year, and I assume Neo as, as well, uh, will come out next year so it's immediately going to be class. now it, you know the counter argument to that is well it's Nintendo people don't necessarily buy Nintendo games for cutting edge graphics they buy Nintendo games for good games for interesting experiences so maybe it'll be a moot point but that is something to consider you know you, there's a trade-off for having a system that can go on the go the way this presumably would and the other thing I was going to say is that it feels kind of like they're trying to, they're trying to, um, get both sides of the audience. The, the, the side that is super gung ho, uh, con, you know, wants to play for another TV, doesn't want to do any, uh, handheld gaming, doesn't want to sacrifice, uh, a lot for their handheld, uh, uh, for their, for their experience in order to make it portable. And this sounds like it will at least, provide a console experience when it's plugged in. Maybe not as powerful as Sony Microsoft, but it's not going to feel necessarily like you're playing a handheld game on a TV like say if you were doing a, a Vita game on a Vita TV or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And then on the other hand also appeal to people who really like to play their games on the go and don't necessarily want to be tied down to their TV to play a full, you know, console uh, design game like Breath of the Wild. Um, like, uh, you know, a a next-gen Mario or whatnot. But I do wonder, you know, how well that's going to work because for the people who like their handheld games... We don't know anything about how big this thing is going to be, but if it's going to have detachable controllers and have presumably enough, uh, you know, internals to do console, you know, TV gaming when it's plugged because, in, it might be it might be bulky. It might be it's going to probably be larger necessarily than a 3DS would. I mean, it'd be hard to imagine.
1: Because I honestly like I don't like the Wii U gamepad. I accept it. Mm-hmm. For what it is, and I use it when I need to, and occasionally I enjoy it. Like in uh, Tokyo Mirage Sessions, I really like what they do with it there, and there have been some good asynchronous gaming experiences on it. But like, I just don't think that it's a super comfortable thing to hold. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and so, if
2: that's if that's the the size factor and the form factor that they're going, yeah, through, I I mean that's it's portable. It's more portable right. than carrying around, exactly. you know, uh, carrying around a PS4, but it's still not it you know the same as being able to slide a 3DS into your pocket they, and then they, the other the other thing is okay you know for people who really prefer the console experience it's not going to reach the same heights as they can get from a an Xbox Scorpio or PS4 Neo and are they going to be satisfied with that particularly as far as uh, third party games are concerned
1: so and, the and, the concern is it will it be a jack of all trades master of none yeah.
0: You also have the battery life situation, yeah. and that to me is the the elephant in the room on this thing. If this is a portable system, this isn't like the, uh, somebody correct me if I'm wrong because I don't have a Wii U. There is a box for the Wii U, right? That you have the hand, you yeah. have the gamepad, and you have a box.
2: Yeah, you have to have the box plugged in and running right. in order to play games.
0: This would. Feasibly combine the two into a handheld system that you can take on the go. I don't know about you guys. I have never been happy with the Vita's battery life and playing Zero Time Dilemma like really showed me how much I can't stand the battery life on that thing. I don't see this device getting more than two hours, three hours of juice. Now maybe that's enough for some people, but that, that limits the portability of this device.
1: In that case, it's more like a, I could make it portable in a pinch, but it's not.
0: Yeah, like
1: my go-to. It,
0: it becomes more of a well. I'm in the house. The wife wants to watch something on TV, so I'm gonna take my device and I'm gonna walk away from it. And that that's cool. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but I just you know I don't want this to replace a traditional handheld. I really do. I don't think I do unless they unless Nintendo has figured out the thing that has flummoxed every major cell phone manufacturer when it comes to battery life. Like I hate the fact that I have to accept oh I need to plug in my phone every day. Like that that pisses me off. Like I I legit hate that. But that's just, you know, that's capacitors, that's physics. There's not a whole lot I can do about that. But if you're talking about a device that's going to have the processor, the memory, all the bits that make the damn thing work and you're going to make it portable and right now the 3DS and the Vita don't have particularly good battery life. What's the battery life on the new 3DS? Is it better? I heard it was like an hour
1: better maybe. Uh, uh, it's pretty good. I, I don't usually run it dry. <clears throat> but the 3DS I've my- found better than the Vita.
3: You should be able to get a good day's worth of playing through.
0: Kind yeah. Of... I just don't see this thing. If this is supposed to be some kind of like Derek was saying, jack of all trades, master of none. If this is supposed to be the portable Nintendo system and the console Nintendo system in one, I think you're 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 cutting off your nose despite your face. You're you're kind of you're losing what makes the two things special. And again, that's me saying it right now, and they could send, sell a billion of these things and prove me wrong. But I just don't really know what the appeal is of this thing. But we haven't seen it yet. It could be the Eurogamer story is completely wrong. I don't know. But I just I don't know. I I do not know. I'm done betting against Nintendo. But everybody who you know, we we saw Nintendo's stocks rise and fall because people didn't understand that they did not make Pokemon go and they didn't, I'm sorry, Derek, I know you didn't want to talk about it, but, but you know, their stocks rose incredibly because people are idiots and didn't realize that they did not make that game and they only hold a, a stock in the company that did, you know, it's one of those things of like, I don't know where Nintendo is going to be, but Nintendo has had some financial troubles as of late. And, Maybe this is the, the big gambit that pays off the way that we did. I don't know.
2: <laughs> Time will tell. And and um games. Games will play uh, yeah. a huge factor in uh in whether or not it's successful. First party and third party.
0: Yeah, Breath of the Wild will probably get me to buy this damn thing, but you, you know, I wanted-
3: that you can do anything with Pokemon, like even if they make a six out of ten Pokemon Go game, they'll be fine.
0: Yeah, make a Pokemon Go for this thing so you can actually play real Pokemon. Like
1: I it and do not
3: throw balls at the Pokemon.
0: We're not gonna talk about
1: Pokemon Go. My my no. brief comment on Pokemon Go, 'cause I was I was complaining before the show, I was like, Oh my god, can we not really get into a huge thing? I just uh I think Pokemon Go is an incredible social phenomenon and I have oh, yeah. thoroughly enjoyed seeing people playing it and I have enjoyed playing it uh like going out in a group with friends and walking around and just enjoying the social aspect of the experience, that's fantastic. I love that. I just think the game is crap. I, yeah, I think we want it, a better game. Hardly a game.
0: Yeah, we want a better game. And I, yeah. I hope that. Uh, and my comment to Derek was, I hope they Diablo three the crap out of this game. And they take, they take like, they take like this game that is very clearly broken and not quite there. And they turn it into something amazing, like
1: or Final Fantasy XIV. Yeah, yeah. Hey, that's a, I think that's a, that's a better example,
0: honestly. Pokemon okay, Go, A Realm Reborn. Like, like yeah. Diablo Three was still fun even if it was broken from the neck no. up once you beat it. But like, okay. Yeah. Uh, do we have some uh,
1: some listener mail? We do! We got Yay! a couple more emails! Yay! So I guess all I had to do was just, uh, whine and be like, well, why didn't you send an email? And then you guys did it, so dance, my puppets, dance. Uh, we've got, <laughs> we've got a couple of emails. So, yeah, the first one is from, uh, Dawid. He, uh, he wrote it in IPA, and I, I can read IPA, so that was very useful. Uh, uh sorry, David. I, uh, David, not, it's spelled D A W I D. Anyway, hey, David. Uh, he says, hey, I'm David, and I am the other European listener of the Random Encounter podcast. He says, uh, I've been from, or I'm from Poland, and I've been listening to the podcast for a couple of years now. I may not always agree with you, but I always enjoy hearing, no, scratch that. Sometimes you're just plainly wrong, and that's it. But everyone has the right <laughs> to make their own opinions, even if they're bad, I guess. At least you make a neat team and have varied points of view, so it's always interesting to listen to you. And every once in a while, you'll make a good point. By the way, as an aside, he uh, emailed, I, I emailed him back, and uh, we bantered a little bit back and forth. He's totally kidding. Um, he said, uh, uh, this. yeah, he wrote that. He says, this mail's getting too long and I already spent too much time correcting my grammar and editing it. So bye. Um, so, and he says, P.S., I hope you shouldn't take my remarks too seriously. And I was mostly joking except for the part about you being bitchy, of course. David! Come how on rude. Now? And I, He was talking about Rob, for sure. So. Oh, yeah, sure? No, yeah. No. yeah. Totally. Totally.
0: <laughs> I mean, we all know it. I think it's just
3: so flexible. Rob's just a pure piece of hate. I,
1: yeah. It's not it's my almost, fault. It's primal. It's it, like it, a, it's, it's a, not a force my fault. of nature. It's not my fault
0: Neo sucks. <laughs> like, that's not my fault. <laughs> Do you guys see that, that? That's getting another demo next month.
1: Yeah, I think uh, it's on its way to being something pretty good, actually. I hope so, because, so, yeah. We
0: that and we're like, yeah, uh-huh. This is a yeah. thing. You didn't play the updated demo at E3, did you? Like, yeah, it, yeah, that it was. was it. A, that was the updated one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. And it was playable,
1: right? Yeah. It was functional. It was functional. It was functional. It, it's <laughs> not. It. You know. <laughs> it. You press buttons and things happen. Uh, I think that game needs some serious balancing too. But uh, yeah. I, the thing, the worst thing about that for me is like the the stagger when you run out of stamina. Like God. that's so crippling. I hate uh, that.
0: The the dude just, like, he's, like, flyvin' and, like, can't attack for some reason for, like, (laughs) three seconds. Like, oh, God. I'm trying – there was another game that did that that really annoyed me. I can't remember right now, but I –
1: Anyway, so thank you, David, for the email. We appreciate that. And I have one other today. It is from Ryan. It says, hey, everyone on the RPG Fan Podcast. Just writing after listening to the recent post-E3 podcast call for listener letters. That was me. I did that. He said, I just wanted to let you all know that I really enjoy and value the work you all do and are doing with the podcast. After giving a few other gaming podcasts a try, I always return to yours. Thanks. He says, I really appreciate the in-depth conversations on RPGs, obviously, but I also appreciate everyone's nuanced understanding of gender in games. Gaming culture's underbelly of misogyny really turns me and my friends off, not to mention the occasional homophobia. And the amount of respect and thought you give to those issues is a breath of fresh air. I love that yours is a podcast i found that has women on the show. Shout out to Kaylin Ardrow. She's great. Looking forward to listening to her talk about Tokyo Mirage Sessions, which she did. She did. Uh, and he says, I also love that you all seem to truly like each other and enjoy each other's opinions and that you all just don't agree with each other all the time but can respectfully disagree with each other. Fallout rants notwithstanding. I kid. God, I
0: was right. so busy on that. Oh, my
1: god, I'm sorry. Yeah. So, so uh, I was having a day. I was having a day. <laughs> so that's that's from Ryan. Thank you so much, Ryan. We really appreciate it. Those are really heartfelt comments, actually. So. Yeah. It means and, a lot.
0: And again, I, I don't want people... I, I think Jesse actually navigated that minefield pretty well when he was talking about 1979. Like, we like video games and we you know he 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 said i like uncharted but not every game needs to be like a white dude shooting minorities all day like that you can enjoy that content but still want something different and i i think that's
1: important it is just the idea that you can criticize things and still like them like offering up a criticism of a thing does not condemn it to the depths of hell and also, at the same time, attack anybody who likes that thing, period. Yeah. Like, and,
0: and I think it's important, like, you don't always have to agree with everything that you read or you hear or that you say. Yeah. I mean, there, there are times where I'm like, eh, all right, I didn't really I didn't really see it that way. Like, I know some people, again, I, I apologize for getting into politics, but I know some people were really upset about uh, Bill Clinton's first man speech that he gave the other night at the DNC. What
2: are we going to call him?
0: I, we're we're gonna call him the first man, and I'm so happy. Like that that that's awesome. Um, but I actually found it to be like a really heartfelt speech about somebody that he loves very much. And I know some people said that he was being demeaning toward Hillary, and it's like I really didn't get that at all. Like, but I I I saw someone who has genuine affection for another human being, and I'm sorry that I found that kind of touching in a really messed up way. Like. I'm sorry. I I thought that that was touching, but I think, you know, opinions being what they are, you know, some people see things differently. Like my worldview is definitely different from Derek's, definitely different from Jesse's, definitely different from Caitlin's, from Steph's. We're all different. We all have different experiences and that doesn't invalidate any one of our experiences, you know?
1: Yeah. Well, I I, uh, appreciate hearing all of that and I know that everybody else does too. So Thank you guys for writing in, and uh, I will continue to put out a call. If there's anything that you like or dislike about the show, feel free to send me an email: podcast at RPGfan.com. Um, Yeah, ask
2: so, us questions. Yeah,
0: love question. to answer questions. I tried to get out uh, of Caitlin earlier. What's her uh, most hated RPG? And she still hasn't answered it. She's I'm still, that.
2: I'm still thinking. I'm, I'm trying to remember.
0: It's, it's Xenogears, so isn't it? <laughs> no. <laughs> I know. No, I'm just, I'm just, te- just teasing you. Just never teasing say you. that. No. And what if, what if, like tomorrow morning, Square Enix said, "We're gonna make Xenogears," and it was like, "What do you mean you're gonna make it?" They're like, "We're gonna finish it. We're gonna, oh. we're gonna, we're gonna take the second disc and we're gonna finish <laughs> the damn game." Uh, be, if,
2: if by finish they mean we're going to remake it, I would be all for that. I
0: would be yeah. so excited. If, as as, um, long, as, as, as long as that treating. sewer level was just as confusing as it was the first. Oh, <laughs> God. Look,
2: you had a map. You had a it map. Was,
1: I got lost so badly. <laughs> I uh, I know we're going to wrap it up, but I actually forgot I have one more email. <laughs> Yay! Um, yeah, it's from... Uh, we, were, we were chatting back and <laughs> forth, so it went back to my... Um, my personal RPG fan email, not the podcast one, so I, I forgot that it was there. Uh, it was another from Alexander, who emailed us last time. Uh, it's a pretty lengthy email, so I'm not going to read the entire thing, but I just want to get down to uh, some of his questions. He starts out by saying, uh, uh, Hey, Derek, I apologize for waiting a, a bit to respond. We were talking back and forth. He said, I just wanted to wait till episode 113. Congrats on receiving more email than usual. Who would have thought that all it would take would be a what-the-hell from you in episode 112? Um, <laughs> He touched on. Uh, he said that we handled the zero time dilemma discussion well, and uh, he agrees that it's a huge, huge downgrade visually. Um, talked about Tokyo Mirage Sessions a little bit. Okay, so some questions. He says, anybody interested in the Super Robot Wars games? If yes, what are your thoughts on the upcoming titles, especially now that we know they'll have English subtitles? If no, you should watch this trailer for one of the upcoming games. I need to play Super Robot Wars stuff. I only played like the one recently. on Easton Yeah. I've never played them.
2: <laughs>
4: They're fun if you like, you know, Gundam or I don't think they actually have any Gundams in them. But if you like robots and grew up with mecha anime and and all that, like it's just like your little little boys or little girls' imagination running wild, yeah. it's in, a, in a game for real.
1: Yeah, I think they're they're pretty servicey as far as I know, but they're like they're really cool if you have knowledge of any of those properties to be able to see all that come together. Yeah, I, unfortunately, I have very minimal experience. The only one I played were... I think two of them came out on Game Boy Advance in North America, and I had those, but I don't really remember playing much. So, sorry, no help that time. There's some big fans of
3: it on the forum. Like, the topic for it always gets bumped up.
1: Oh, yeah?
4: Okay. Yeah.
1: Cool. Okay, uh, Second, there are three questions. The second is, uh, he found out from a friend that the Final Fantasy X 10, 10, Two HD re-release on Steam was a 40-plus gig download. He says, is that true, and does that mean that the Steam version is even more remastered than the Vita version? Uh, I, I, think it's, see, I think it is big, yeah. but It's
0: a lot of uncompressed audio um, and uncompressed textures. I think that's what's kind of blowing up the, the size of these games right now. Like, Doom is almost 50 gigabytes on my computer. Like, that's just... I think Blu-ray has really allowed them to do that sort of thing on the consoles, and then you also have every one of these consoles and computers now getting terabytes of space costs practically nothing, so they don't have to compress everything. Let's hope that that works for the Final Fantasy 12 audio, because that would be great to have uncompressed yes. voice acting, because...
1: I wonder I, if they even have. I don't audio. need
0: everybody to sound like they're like this the entire time, Vaughn. Vaughn, uh, you need to uh, listen to me.
2: Pinello, Pinello is so she's one of oh, the yeah. I mean, the guys sound generally better than the girls. I think it didn't it didn't do very well for the um the upper registers when they were compressing audio.
1: Yeah, it, it's so weird. Uh, yeah, and I, no, the game is not even more remastered. But I think the Steam version must be based off of the PS4 one, right?
0: I believe so. so yeah.
1: Yeah, so I guess it. I guess it is technically more remastered than the Vita one, but not like substantially different. Does the Steam version have the audio toggle? So let's you know, choose between the I new know stuff. I have no idea. See, we're so informed at RPG fan. <laughs> <laughs> well, they keep yes.
0: releasing Final Fantasy X every other week. Okay, yeah. like I can't keep track of all these yeah. different
1: versions. That's swear. what I don't know. And uh, just to move it along, his final question was. Uh, he just says, just for my own curiosity, is there a process uh, behind deciding who gets to review what title and can you share with listeners how each of you prepare yourselves for writing a review? Any rituals or traditions?
0: Uh, the main tradition is that if you want to review a game, we put you up against Manus in uh, Dark Souls and uh, you have to fight him with your fists, and if you are able to kill him, then you uh, get to review the game.
1: Right. And if you live in <laughs> Canada, we actually have an arena that we rent out, and it has this like giant... There's a <laughs> moose, right? But imagine <laughs> razor blades with
3: they all like of two back here, and we just duke it out every time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: two <laughs> men enter, one man leaves. No, one moose
0: leaves, yeah. <laughs> one moose, yeah. Hey, those things are dangerous, man.
3: Wow. It was wow. after a very bad injury that I decided to switch to social media where I didn't have to deal with any of this garbage of
1: your. Oh, and, then we, we, and then the ground is slick with maple syrup. <laughs> 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 uh,
0: <laughs> babes oh, my God. Syrup. Okay. Yeah, I know. I'm kidding.
4: Um, it would be slick it, it or be sticky with maple syrup.
1: I think it would, it would be, be sticky. sticky. It would be sticky,
4: yeah. right?
1: That coefficient of friction increased. Are, are That's what that Are we talking robust taste? Are we talking dark? Are we talking light? Because mm. there are a lot oh. of
0: different grades.
1: Oh, God. Okay, anyway. Um, in,
0: in all seriousness, uh, we usually just have conversations about who wants to review the game. Um, you'd be surprised. Uh, they're... they're certain games people are chomping at the bit for and other games, it's like, nah, I ain't touching that with a 10-foot pole. Strangely enough, not a whole lot of people putting their hands up for Dark Souls 3 when that came around. Everyone yeah. was kind of like...
3: That you uh, loved it. It's like not going to get in the way of that.
0: No, it's like mostly it probably, because that game...
1: I'd be less inclined the, the, to review Dark Souls 3 than Hyperdimension Neptunia, and that's saying a lot.
0: Uh, <laughs> they, each one of the Souls games takes a little piece of you if you uh, decide to review it. Um, but it, if we do get into a situation where multiple people want to review it, then we kind of do a roll-off. Like, we kind of just do, you know, pick a number. Because uh, we want to be fair, we want to be just. Um, I I don't know, I, I feel weird taking reviews from, like, especially new people on the site, and we have so many now. Like, I want them to have a chance to kind of kind of cut their teeth a little bit and try different things. And I think it's also important, important to get different uh, voices... When it comes to those games, I think, you know, having written so many Souls reviews, another Souls review from me for Dark Souls 3 doesn't really tell you anything. Like, it was good to get Andrew in there to kind of have a different voice to kind of express something about the games. So I think that should be taken into consideration, too.
1: Yeah. How about, uh, does anybody have any rituals or traditions? I want to know if they're weird, especially. Any weird rituals? You always have, like, a glass of of three ice cubes or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like no, I, I, I
3: turn devices on and off three times for good luck, and it's <laughs> oh, happened so far, so I'm just gonna keep doing it because clearly it's working.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I kind of just tear into it. Um, I tend to marathon a game if I'm reviewing it. Um, I, I've I've been kind of blessed in that most of the games that I've reviewed, we end up getting early. Like uh, Deus Ex: Human Revolution, I played that the whole way through in two and a half days where I just got up every morning and just uh, just kept tearing it apart. Um, uh, for the Souls games, I seem to have gotten those every time I've been on vacation. So my, my vacation ritual is like get up, walk the dog, make myself the biggest pot of coffee you can imagine, and then just play Souls all day. Um, I did that what for kind of Dragon coffee? Age. What kind of coffee? Uh, Death Wish coffee. Death Wish it's coffee. We will... Uh, We will take endorsements. Um, but mostly I just try to like relax. I play the game through and then I usually end up writing my reviews on like a Sunday morning. Like I wake up and I kind of with a clear head, I write the whole review and then I look at it over the course of the day and make changes to it. Cause I, I don't typically sit down with a notebook or anything and write down notes. I kind of just keep everything percolating in my head. But then I'll, I'll remember certain things that I want to add to a review. And then we put it through a proof process and, uh, somebody takes a look at it, make sure that I'm speaking the English and uh, making sense, and then we publish it.
1: I do notes, I take notes when I'm playing it, just uh, little little things that I want to make sure I can expand upon later. Because there have been times where it's like, I think, oh, I'm never going to forget, you know, this exact musing I just had, and then I don't write it down, and the next day I'm like, God oh, damn it, I, I have. To yep, I, I find that, like, weirdly enough, I think of specific ways that I want to phrase things while I'm in the middle of playing it. Um, and if I don't take the time to make note of that, then I may forget the exact way I wanted to phrase it, and that drives me crazy. Uh, other traditions for me are usually, yeah, coffee. Uh, more like, I mean, I have coffee when reviewing, but I usually reward myself with, like, a trip to get coffee out afterwards. Uh, yeah, and I, and I, it's always one day. It's a one-day process, and I usually, like, devote that day to the review. It's like, okay... I'm going to, if I haven't, uh, if I usually beat the game, I don't like to write the review like the second I beat it, I want to let it percolate a little bit. So it's like I'll have my day where I say, okay, in the morning I'm going to, maybe I'll boot the game up one more time just to fiddle around and then I will write the review. I usually do it all in one sitting and then I like look at it and make sure that it looks fine before I submit it, which isn't a very like exciting process that feels anything, but yeah. Always in one sitting though, I cannot do the split sitting thing i got to get all my thoughts
0: nah, on I gotta write it. No, I've got to write it all at once because you get into a flow. You get into a real rhythm of your writing, and it, it connects real well if you write it all at once. I also have to be careful that I don't get, like, hung up on something, like something that's just really annoying me in the moment, making sure that that doesn't, like, color the entire review, if that makes sense. Like, I, I look back at my first review that I wrote for the site, which was my uh, Dragon Age Origins review, And I just kept getting bogged down in that game's difficulty spikes, and I kept going back to it so much that I kind of missed the forest through the trees in that review. I'm not especially proud of it, but it's a learning experience type thing. Like, you know, I, I could I could write probably a couple paragraphs on how much I hated the Witcher 3's inventory when I first started playing that game, and it's significantly better now, but like spending three paragraphs writing about that wouldn't have helped. Like all I needed to say was the inventory sucks here's a couple reasons why it sucks. Now, moving on, because it really sucks. But, like, that that inventory system actually did drag down my enjoyment of the game and made me dread playing it. Because, like, it was so bad, I didn't want to futz around with it constantly.
1: Yeah, that's fair. Does anybody else have any
0: weird rituals? We don't have any other reviewers here. It's just you and me, Derek.
1: Well, I guess you're not. Well, like, Jesse wrote stuff at E3, and so did Steph. Steph, you have to, like, do a certain dance really every time you compose a tweet? Um, <laughs> uh,
3: I, Yeah, I sort of have a method, too. I mean, I always try to stay really positive, and, you know, I find it so easy to be really critical of things, um, especially uh, when it comes to game stuff. So I always try to put a light spin on things and just try to have a lot of fun with it.
0: Keep in mind, she's going to be starting Dark Souls this week for the first time, so those <laughs> tweets might get a little nasty here pretty soon. And we wouldn't be able to blame her, blame
1: her for that. She
0: has, she has no idea what she's in for.
1: Wait, poor uh, poor my sessions, yeah. right, Jesse, did you have anything to add? I'm sorry if I cut you off.
0: Uh,
4: no, that's fine. I mean, I don't generally write reviews, although I am working on one for 1979 Revolution. Uh, and when I write a preview, it's usually based on the news that we've had out about the game so far, and so I just, I literally read everything we've published about the game and try and organize it in my head. Sometimes I'll write an outline. Uh They usually turn out better
0: when I do that, but I'm also lazy, so I often don't do that. <laughs> Happy. At the risk of pissing off Dennis Dyack, because this was a topic of conversation back when Too Human was being previewed. Um when I preview a game, I give my thoughts on it. Like if I think some things are messed up, I let people know. Like I, I, I think do, that
1: there is nothing more useless than like a than a preview that has absolutely no perspective. Like, I agree. I one hundred percent agree. agree.
3: Like a lot of game journalism feels like a lot of, you know, like read and regurgitate. So I think it's really important that if you can add those two cents in, if you feel it, then I I think that can be a bit more interesting.
1: Right. I think it's important also to recognize that, like, when we're previewing a game, that game is a work in progress. So you can't judge the final quality of certain elements. But you can say, like, you know, this Mm -hmm. is a feature or an aspect of, like, this is an intentional design decision that I am wary of. And I think,
0: I mean. My Neo review was actually longer than my Zero Time Dilemma, my Neo preview was longer than my Zero Time Dilemma review because A, I think there's more to talk about with Neo. And I got pretty angry in parts of that because I really had an unpleasant time playing that game. But if you read the review, uh, the preview, sorry, if you read the preview, I say this is an unfinished game. There's a lot of things they can work on. But I think that information can be valuable. And I I actually applaud the way Tecmo is taking that info and apparently making changes. Like, they got rid of weapon durability. I'm sorry. I will take credit for that because that was. (laughs) awful in that game that was it was absolutely awful when i was playing that preview and like that would actually prevent me from playing that game and it hampered my enjoyment and by taking that feedback from people in surveys and hopefully looking at other previews if that helped make the game better isn't that what you want like, I was say, that I should
3: be... Things. I, I know some people are really hard on it because like, oh, but the artistic vision of what they wanted, right, is kind of compromised, but... Yeah. <laughs> I, I'd I rather play something input is really good to have.
4: Yeah, yeah. and games I mean, aren't like other art where, like, you have to play a game, right? You, you can watch a movie or you can look at a painting and you don't have to interact with it. Like, it doesn't have to, quote unquote, work. Where the game has to yeah. work. Sorry, I cut yeah. you off Rob.
0: No, no, no. And if and if your camera system sucks in your game, it's gonna take away from my enjoyment of it. And I you know, I hope they fix that camera in Neo. I think it's way too close to the character's back and it's all sorts of wonky. Apparently one of the big things that they focused on was the fact that pressing back while locked on. I know this is really technical and I apologize for it, but like pressing back Uh, when you were locked on, would make your character run in the opposite direction and you could get killed instead of doing a backup motion like in the Souls games. They have apparently changed that in the next preview to play more like a Souls game. That is, in my preview, I complained about it. And again, yes, that is what my preview was designed to do, to give feedback for that game. And they said they wanted feedback. So you're damn well right I gave them feedback, which was, I think you got some things here, but you also got some crap here that you need to work at a little bit. And I I think that level of honesty, I know Dennis Dyack got his got his pants all in a twist over that with Too Human, but I'm sorry, that game sucked. Like, that, <laughs> that game legit sucked. And people were telling you that it sucked, and you didn't care. You did the whole auteur, like, oh, they don't understand me. No, you don't understand that the game you made sucked like that there I'm sorry you were
3: you have to respect wrong. development
0: yeah like I'll respect you as a developer but at the same time if everybody in the world thinks your game sucks except you that probably tells you something so yeah. just sucks whatever yeah, is he trying to get everybody's it's money again I think you. he's
1: yeah. I think he's
0: trying to get everybody's money again for Shadow of the Eternals I think he's I think he's once again trying to make a uh, his his uh, it, uh what was it eternal darkness uh game yeah. can I just go on record that game is not nearly as good as people remember it that game that game was no. not that good It, Wait, it which really game? wasn't eternal darkness uh it, yeah. eternal darkness it was not as good I as people it. remember
1: I, I i really liked it at the time uh but I think it's one of those games I, because like you said Rob um a lot of the sanity effects are things that once you've experienced once and there's nothing. They're just, they become yep. an annoyance.
3: It was a great gimmick. I, I thought it was yeah, so no, cool.
1: No, nobody remembers
0: the combat in, Eternal's <laughs> Dar- in Eternal Darkness, which is terrible. Like, it is, it is bad. And the, the thing everybody remembers are the insanity effects, because they were, like Derek was saying, they were nifty and they were kind of cool. But you also had to play the game poorly to experience them, and after you had seen them, they were kind of one and done. And that's, that's neat, but I don't think that's a full game. And I, I think that game, I think that is one of the most poorly aged games I have ever played. Like, where after that initial, oh, it got nines and tens and everybody loved it, you look at it a year later and you go, wow, this is crap. Like, th- this game has not held up that well.
1: But that's not even the there. Is, uh, I can't speak to that.
0: I I'd, yeah, uh, Dennis Dyak, I'm I'm more than willing to debate you anytime, but you, you're yeah you you are who you are. Please please make another game of relevance. Um, okay. Uh, thank you everybody well, for listening that to the podcast. was super long tangent. Yeah. I, I'm sorry. I just I I can't stand that guy constantly trying to get money from people. Like I just I think that's horrible. Uh, thank you everybody for listening to the podcast. As always, be sure to subscribe to us uh, through iTunes or I think we're also on the Google Play Store. I think we're there.
1: Uh, I subscribe
0: to I subscribe to us through Pocket Casts, because that's my favorite podcast app on my phone. Um, we're going to continue to take questions. I really appreciate the feedback there. You guys seem to like talking to Derek. That's totally fine. Keep doing it. Um, yeah, so for uh, Caitlin, f- who had to go play Final Fantasy 14, I know, big surprise. Uh, for Caitlin, Derek, Steph... She knows who no, her real friends yeah, are. She's, she's playing for. Go back to pressing 1 over and over again, Caitlin.
2: <laughs> um, I, I play on controller, so uh, it's more like I press r circle
0: over and over. <laughs> okay. <laughs> for Caitlin, Derek, Jesse, and Steph, thank you, everyone, and we will see you all later. Bye. Bye-bye. R1, R1. R one, R one, R one, R one, R one. And then and then like a face button or,
3: or a directional button, yeah.
4: And then face button.